Good morning, church family. I encourage you to stick around after we worship this morning and get to know both of those families. If you don't already know them, go go over to them and see them and hear some more about their ministries and how God is working in their lives. And it's a privilege for us to get to be part of uh, sending the Richards off on their trip. And then uh, your generous ongoing giving uh, also is part of what supports uh, the Lindblums in their ministry as well. So your giving, your financial giving makes a difference for the glory of Jesus. And so thanks for that. Well, my name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, we'll jump into God's word now. And I'm gonna start this way. Get behind me, Satan. Now there's some chuckles because some of you know that's the way I started last week. Is Pastor Derek losing his mind? Get behind me, Satan, is something that Jesus said to one of his good friends, to one of his followers. And, And we asked the question last Sunday, and I'm up here doing it again for some reason. Why would Jesus say this to one of his friends? I have not lost my mind. Uh, Stick with me for a moment. We read about the circumstances of these words in Mark chapter 8. It seemed foolish to Peter. It seemed foolish to one of Jesus' followers that Jesus would be talking about dying. Peter didn't get it. Jesus was supposed to be the rescuer, this, this coming king. Why Peter thought it was foolish that Jesus would be talking about dying. But to Jesus, it was foolish that Peter, let's see, what, let's see what the rest of what Jesus said was. Get behind me, Satan, Jesus said to Peter, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. We, there is a human way of doing things. There are human tendencies, and we want to ask ourselves if those line up with God's ways. There are human tendencies and preferences, and we want to make sure that our tendencies and our preferences line up with what the Spirit of God is doing. There are human values and priorities. There are things that you and I think are important, but we need to be asking ourselves if, if those are what really matters to God. Are our human values and priorities and our way of thinking really the way God is, is working? And, and, and so here Jesus corrects Peter saying, you're not thinking of the things of God, you're thinking of the things of man. So I started the same way this morning because of this. Because as we teach God's word this morning, you're going to see that there's some continued themes from where we've already been in God's word in the past week or two. I started the same this week because I wanted to remind us that for the great majority of the time here at Faith Church, when we teach God's word, we are teaching passages through a book of the Bible so that we can see God's message to us unfold, so that we can hear God's message to us in its entirety. We really work hard to not pick and choose uh, or you know, cherry pick passages for certain topics at certain times or make it easier on me because I don't have to then say hard things. We, the great majority of the time are teaching through a book of the Bible and I will encourage you, you will get the most out of God's word as you join us as, as often as you can so that you hear God's message to us through this book in its entirety. And so I started the same way this morning because we have some of these same themes that we pick up from last week. 
The problem, if you were here with us last Sunday, the problem that the author of this letter, Paul, is addressing is that there was these rival factions were forming, these groups were forming, and and they were boasting about how they were better than the other groups. They were boasting about their connection with another human leader. Some said, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and some said, I follow Peter. They were boasting of their connection with a human leader because they were identifying themselves with them, because they wanted to be right, because they wanted to be important. And what really happened was they were dividing themselves into groups by by taking these up these causes or by associating themselves with only one human leader. They They were trying to be important or right, but what they were really doing was causing division. Um setting themselves apart from others. I'm not in that group. That group must be wrong. I'm over here doing the correct thing. And so the solution, Paul's solution in this letter was an appeal to unity. He's writing to these followers of Jesus in a town called Corinth, and he's writing to you and I today because God's word is living and active. His solution was this appeal to unity. Followers of Jesus in Corinth back then and here today, followers of Jesus seek after unity and find your unity in the cross of Christ, in what Jesus has done. So we're in this series of messages that's called Better Together, and we're teaching through the book of or the letter in your Bible called 1 Corinthians. And, you, and, I, and I hadn't pointed this out yet in this series. You can see the graphic that was designed for this series. And on the left side, the green arrows are, are pretty mismatched and sh- aimed different directions and thinking different things and going their own ways. And what we, what we see as the graphic crosses from left to right is hopefully the arrows begin to move a little more in the same direction. They become a little more unified. And so what we're asking God to do in this series as we teach God's word in 1 Corinthians is as we apply the gospel to our lives, as we apply the good news of what Jesus has done to our lives, if everything we do is seen in light of of the good news of Jesus, that will bring us together because we are better together. So turn with me in your Bibles. If you haven't grabbed a Bible yet, pull out your Bible or open your Bible app and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And in a moment, I'm going to start at verse 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we will start in verse 18. Father God, as always, when we open your word, we need you. God, I pray that you would move us, move us heart and mind into a posture of openness, ready to hear from you. God, speak to us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we jump in here at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we'll start at verse 18. And I want to just say this as we think ahead and think big picture about where we are in 1 Corinthians. Um, This coming section of scripture, these next few weeks really, will, will be giving methods, four different methods for how we find this unity. How we strive after unity together as followers of Jesus, as a church family, as Christians worldwide. How do we seek after unity together? And uh, really, we're going to see four reasons in upcoming weeks. And today, today's passage of Scripture elaborates on what Paul started last Sunday. And his emphasis is, again, that we must focus on the cross. That we focus on Jesus and what he has done. So, So let's jump in. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly 
to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. That last couple lines there is a quote from Isaiah chapter 29. And I think perhaps the idea here is that even where people's so-called wisdom, even though people seek after wisdom and are striving to um, learn things and become more knowledgeable, if that wisdom causes people to disregard God, does does that stop God from accomplishing his purposes? No. Even when, when wisdom causes people to re- disregard God, God's rescuing purposes prevail. He is working to rescue a people for himself, and his purposes will prevail, and people will find new life and transformed life in him. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. He's saying that there are those, there's those of you Corinthians that you know of people. There's those of you here at Faith Church this morning that know of people who are seeking after wisdom and trying to gain knowledge. And yet it hasn't resulted in them finding God, knowing God. So he writes, the world did not know God through wisdom. And because of that then, look, at, I'm still in verse 21. Because of that then, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs, miracles, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach what? Christ crucified a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. So the first thing in this chunk of scripture we're looking at this morning is is the message of the cross itself. What, What is the message of the cross? What is the message of the gospel? And is it foolishness? The passage is saying it's folly or foolishness. Yeah, it was foolishness to the Corinthians who were seeking wisdom, trying to gain knowledge, trying to build themselves up with with, uh, the wisdom of the world. So it was foolishness to them to think, what are you talking about? Some guy that died. And and really, same thing for the Jewish people at the time, the hostile Jews, those that were hostile to Jesus' message, they were expecting uh, this triumphant, conquering Messiah. And again, Paul says, I'm preaching Christ crucified. I'm I'm preaching this guy that died on a cross. So while verse 22 says that while the Jews demanded signs or miracles, and by the way, there had been plenty of miracles to underscore the reality that Jesus is God. So while the Jews continued to demand these signs and Greeks were seeking wisdom, Paul writes, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly, foolishness to the Gentiles. Look at the beginning of verse 24. This is, this is a key thing that we'll discuss a moment a more in a minute. To, but to those who are called, but to those who God calls, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. 
Christ crucified might be a stumbling block to some and foolishness to some, but to those who are being saved, to those who are called, who God has called to be in his family, the gospel message is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Is the message of the cross foolishness? Some people think so. It appears sort of foolish in human eyes, but look at verse 25. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Is the message of the cross foolishness? Yes, but the foolish is the foolishness of God, and that's wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. The gospel that we remind ourselves of week in and week in, week in and week out around here, the gospel is the good news that God rescues sinners like you and me, broken and hurting and rebellious against God. The good news is that God rescues people like you and me through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Last week, we looked at this verse, and I kind of said, if there was one verse that kind of gives us the gospel, the good news in one verse, it was this one, Romans 5.8. But God demonstrates his great love for us in this while we were still sinners, while we were still in rebellion against him, while we were still uh, stuck in our sin and, and deserving of death. In that mess, God sent his son. God rescued us through Jesus. But God shows his love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ, what? Christ crucified. We preach Christ crucified. And right here it is, when we were stuck in our sin, Jesus died for us. So last week that verse perhaps is, is the gospel in one verse. Perhaps today if we had to explain the gospel in two words, it would be Christ crucified. And so, so Paul says that's what we preach. And we preach it to everyone. We want everyone to know the good news of Jesus. We preach that God has brought about rescue through his son, that Jesus is the son of God, came to live the life that you and I cannot live, came to die the death that you and I deserve, was raised again from the dead, proving that you and I can have new life in him. And so that's the news that Paul preached, Christ crucified. And he preached it to everyone because that is what our human responsibility is. As ministers of the gospel, we just had some short-term missionaries. We just had some full-time vocational missionaries up here. We just prayed that you and I are all spirit-empowered ministers of the gospel of the good news. So that is the message we are all called to preach, to proclaim with our lives, with our love for others. And it's up to God then who responds, right? Our job is to be proclaimers and conduits of his hope and, and allow God to do the work. John Piper explains what this calling idea is about. Back in verse 24, we saw it says, to those who are called, the gospel message is God's power. John Piper writes this, that God's call is what happens when the gospel comes with irresistible force. It's the gospel with an omnipotent supercharge behind it. It's the good news of Jesus with that power of God behind it. And he writes, this is what makes God's call so different from a phone call inviting us for dinner. God's call comes with the power to do what it demands. 
If God's call comes to someone, if God has purposed for that person to be a part of God's family, to become part of the people of God, that call comes with the power to respond, with enabling us to respond, with enabling us to put our trust in him with making it possible to even get out of our mess of sin and rebellion and and, and rejection of God and respond to him. And so Piper continues, we have to distinguish then that kind of call, God's call from the general preaching of the gospel or witnessing to a friend. We just said this, that all of us are proclaimers, conduits. God wants to use you in word and deed to share the good news of Jesus to those around you. Is it up to us who is saved? No, we obediently follow our, our, our Jesus' command, his commission to make disciples. We are proclaimers of the good news. And then it says when we talk about God's call, the call of God may or may not come to people in those acts of us witnessing or sharing the good news or being proclaimers. That's God's work, not ours. So the gospel message may seem foolish according to worldly wisdom, You know, you could think of it this way, man, what's this message about a dead guy on a cross? And what does that have to do with finding new life? Who would have dreamed up that kind of plan? Only, only God. Who would have dreamed up a rescue plan where the guy looks like miserably defeated at the end? Only God is so wise to be so foolish. Gospel. The gospel, when accompanied by God's call, is the power of God, the wisdom of God. So now let's continue in the passage and try to see this. Who is called? Who is called? Who's going to become part of God's family? Look at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Imagine this was being written to you, okay? Put yourself in these shoes. Letter to the believers at, at Corinth, okay? God's word, living and active, I believe uh, us, for us today as well. So, so put yourself in the, in the shoes of the listeners here, of those receiving the letter, and how does this feel? For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Is God's calling of these Corinthian believers foolishness? If if God has called some of these Corinthians, some of these messed up, misunderstanding the gospel, uh, sinning even after they become a Christian, is, is God's calling these Corinthians to be his people? Is that foolishness? It sure looks like it at first, right? If God's picking his team, the Corinthians thought he's gonna go with those who have got the credentials. The Corinthians would have assumed by their way their society operates, the way that the things of the values of man, the human values of their time, they would have assumed that if God was picking his team, he'd go with impressive credentials. Who's smart? Who's got wisdom? Who is powerful? Who's an impressive person? Who comes from a um, 
an impressive family? Who has influence in the society? Who has wealth? That's who the Corinthians thought would get the call. They, They were running around in their culture trying to make themselves feel more important, trying to get with the right group, trying to listen to speakers about how they could advance socially, how they could become more impressive in their community. So if it comes to God picking who is gonna be the people of God, they may have assumed it would be those kind of credentials. But no, what did we just read really clearly? But, but God's redeeming a people for himself is a contradiction to what we'd expect. A total contradiction to what the Corinthians perhaps would have expected and perhaps to what we expect. Look at verse 28. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. That are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In in other words, transformation into the likeness of Christ and, and rescue, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We ask if the message of the gospel is foolishness. Yes, it's God's foolishness, which is wiser than men. It is, is the, the people that he called to be his own, are the, these Corinthian believers, is, is the fact that he chose them foolishness. It sure looks like it. It's like asking the question, I mean, you know, think about our own credentials and go, would, would God choose you? Some people are going, would God really have chosen these Corinthians? But God is redeeming a people for himself. God does what he pleases. He chooses who he chooses. He is not constrained to worldly opinions. And he calls those he calls. And, I, and verse 29 tells us it's, that so, it's so that no human might boast in the presence of God. We didn't earn our rescue. We didn't deserve to be brought out of sin and death. We didn't deserve to be brought out of the darkness and into the light. It wasn't our worldly impressiveness. It wasn't all of our accomplishments that got us a spot in God's team. But we cling to that stuff. I think the Corinthians were clinging to these worldly values. And we should ask ourselves this morning, do we cling to these kind of things to save us? Are we more interested in in finding out how we can be impressive to those around us, how we can earn our way up? I mean, what are the things that the Corinthians were clinging to that we might still cling to today? Earning more money. Any power that we feel we have must earn us a place, right? We defend our credentials. We depend on our reputation. We think if we have influence, then then things will go my way. Acting like those things could save us from sin and death, but they don't and they can't. But it's not about what you and I do. It's about what Jesus has already done. And the purpose of the gospel then, and and he um, purposes then for the good news to be preached to all and his calling will be effective, not not because of clever speaking, 
God's proclamation of, of the good news, God calling people to follow him will come through the gospel being proclaimed, but not because of, of impressive speaking skills or cleverness or, um, you know, human effort. There, there is nothing that humans can add to the gospel message. There is nothing, there is nothing I can do up here, a little song and dance for you this morning that makes the gospel any better news than it already is. And so God's calling will be effective not because of clever speaking, but because of the power of the cross. Look with me at the beginning of chapter two. Chapter two, verse one. Paul speaking, Paul writing this letter, remember? And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or impressive wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul wasn't trying to put on a show. He didn't need to add to the gospel. He didn't need to go into random details and side tangents and, 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 and try to impress everybody with his worldly wisdom or his experience or what God had done in his life. He says, what I did was I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. Verse three. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So is the message of the cross foolishness? Yes, but it's the foolishness of God. Are, are those that he calls foolishness? It sure appears like it if you're going by credentials, but it's God's plan to rescue those who put their trust in him. And now we just talked these, the first few verses of chapter two are kind of asking the question, what about Paul's preaching? Foolishness? He says he wasn't impressive. He didn't do anything really cool. He... He couldn't hardly speak. He says, you know, it wasn't really wisdom. Foolishness? Maybe by human preferences. Maybe we wouldn't have paid a ticket to see Paul speak. Maybe it was foolishness by cultural standards of fancy speaking and impressive delivery, but it's, the, it's God's foolishness. Because of the power, we just saw it in verse 4. It's God's foolishness because of the power of the Holy Spirit at work through Paul. Verse five, so that your faith, you Corinthians, you faith church family, so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So what about us? What about the Corinthians? The Corinthians were putting their stock in, in who, which human they followed. I'm, I'm, I'm with Apollos. I follow Paul, so I'm better than you. What about the Corinthians? What about you? Do you put your faith in human wisdom? Do, do, we, put our, do we put our attention and time and life effort into climbing the ladder and gaining status in society or thinking we can somehow earn God's favor or earn his salvation? Those are the ways the world thinks you should get ahead. 
And instead, I just, I urge us this morning, and me included, to not count on our credentials, on our merits, on our efforts. There is no way to add to the gospel. There is, there's no way to earn your salvation. Don't look for reasons to divide. Don't identify with one human over the, leader over the other. Don't cling to your credentials, your worldly status, your power, your influence, your family background. Instead, as a family, as a church family, as fellow followers of Jesus, brothers and sisters in Christ, we are to seek unity by focusing on Jesus and him crucified. We are to seek unity by focusing on the cross, on who Jesus is and what he has done. So let's ask God right now to help us set ourselves aside and seek unity because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we need you. Left to our own, we go against you. Left to our own, we think of ourselves first. Left to our own, we uh, try to make ourselves more impressive than those around us. God, would you speak to me right now and, and anyone else in the room that needs to be convicted by your spirit? God, would you speak to us if there are ways in which we are dividing ourselves inappropriately, where we are trying to look better than others, where we are trying to make ourselves more impressive? God, would you show us anything that we're clinging to? Worldly wisdom, the priorities of this life, the things that our culture holds up as important. Are there any of those things, status and power or influence that we're clinging to as if that's all we need, as if that's what will get us through? Lord, show us where we need to give that up and lift our eyes to you instead. How we were lost in our sin, deserving of death, and you sent Jesus to rescue us, to bring us into relationship, to reconcile us, to, to allow sinful and broken us to be in relationship with a perfect and holy God. God, because through Jesus, we have you have brought us out of the dark and into the light. God, help us to live in incredible uh, thankfulness and joy because what you have done, help us to know the good news is good news to us today. And as we celebrate the good news together this morning, as we lift our voices in song now, as we give our gifts this morning as the ushers come, God, I pray that all that we do this morning and into our week and into our lives as we live among um, our friends and family and coworkers and fellow students, God, would you and your good news just be, just be flowing out of us? Would our excitement for Jesus, would our, would our thankfulness for the cross overflow from our lives so that you could use us to help others find new life in you? We love you, Lord. Help us to set ourselves aside and live for you. In Jesus' name, amen.